The company was shit. The way they were treating their staff was awful. The way they were treating their customers was awful. And it was, I knew I could do it better. And I think that's that spark of a business owner, entrepreneur. It was the first time in my life I really knew I could do it better than my boss. Only 15% of human adults have goals and they're responsible for 85% of the wealth. When I go into a business and I say to them, what are you trying to achieve here? And they say, well, you know, to make a profit. But it's, it's one of my key maps as well. If it's not written down, you might as well uh, give up on it as a goal. And for me, that's like a sat nav. You put a postcode in, blah, 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 we'll work the route. But not only do we know the roads to go on, we know what roads not to go on, so we'll be less easily uh, distracted. Most people talk themselves out of success. They talk themselves out of a deal. You'll always find a reason not to do a deal, not to buy a business, not to buy a property. A hundred million pounds. Yeah. You know, I mean, have you got a date on it? Yeah, I've got a date. Okay, because yeah. the next thing in, in goal setting is, we talk about smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant in time. And every entrepreneur's role is to sell their business. And this, if this sounds foreign to you, that's worrying. Let's get on with the day. Our first guest, Mark Wright. Uh, I can't believe any of you won't know him, so I assume you do somewhat, but 2014 Apprentice winner. Uh, I've seen articles that talk about him being the most successful apprentice. I'm sure Joe's going to be challenging that and biting at his heels uh, to, to take that forward, but also successfully exited. You know, £250,000 in from Lord Sugar after beating all of the other contenders off. Um, and grew it to a 10 million pound exit last year. So he can share some of those skills as well. And we're gonna ask about next steps uh, and go from there. But you know, the reason I say that whatever challenges we face, you're gonna learn a lot from Mark today, um, is that literally had to share, in effect, a house of multiple occupancy or uh, 10 other people sharing that house, 170 quid in the bank, wasn't allowed to be part of the NHS or, or, or any of the benefits that we living in this country have because at that point he wasn't uh, a citizen of the UK. So you'd say loads going against him, loads of reasons why it would be hard to be successful, loads of reasons why he could, should and would fail but do you know what? He didn't. He went on, he won The Apprentice, built an amazing business, and I know that there's loads of insights that he can teach us all this morning. So what I want to do is uh, put your hands together, give a massive millionaire mastermind welcome, please, to Mark Wright. Let's just leave that song going, shall we? That's and fantastic. Gets the right vibe, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I feel like I should be playing darts now. Yeah, yeah, you got the right T-shirt on. Yeah, right? exactly. Go for it. But thanks for joining us today. Thanks, you know, all of the guys in the room are at different stages of their business, um, facing challenges that I know you'd have gone through, um, coming from different backgrounds. And one of the first things I often like to ask people is, tell us a bit about Mark before he came to the UK, if you like. So back back uh, home, down under. Yeah. Um, Silver Spoon upbringing, tough upbringing. <laughs> I wish. Uh, Ivy League education, tough education. Tell us a little bit about you before you came over and why you decided to come to the UK. Okay, well, thank you very much for having me. It's good to see you all. Um, 
As you can tell by that song and, and my accent, I'm from a country that's much better than this one at rugby and cricket. Um, I came over here in 2012, but before that, I'm from um, a small town called Armidale in New South Wales in Australia. Um, my mum is a hairdresser and my dad is a mechanic. So my reason for getting into business and, and wanting to be rich and wanting to be successful and own my own companies is when I was sitting at the dinner table at night, the conversation at the dinner table was always one of stress. How are we gonna pay the wages? How are we gonna pay the rent? That employee wants a pay rise. This problem, this problem. And my, my parents didn't realize that that stress was coming on to, on to me really. And my goal was, and it's a pretty good goal for a young man, is I wanted to get older and get rich so my, I could help my parents not be stressed. The only problem with that at school, I was in the half of the class that made the top half possible. Um, I wasn't very good at school. I'm dyslexic. I can't read and write at all. Um, really struggled at school. Didn't apply myself very well because I thought I was just going to be rich or be a footballer. I didn't need to really worry about it. Uh, that didn't turn out to be very good because I wasn't very good at football. Um, so finished school and I did a personal training certificate um, because it was the quickest way to owning my own business without going to university. And I wasn't good at a trade. I tried washing cars, working as a mechanic with my dad. I was just rubbish. So I had to do the personal training certificate. And I did that in six weeks. And I came across a man who um, he'd invented a system where you could do online curriculum. Now, Australia is a very vast country. And people used to travel six or seven hours to go to school or do school on the radio. And this bloke had invented a system where you could do online, which now sounds like normal, but this was the first of its kind in Australia. And the first month I was working with him, he got $2,000 a month in sales and the company was going under. And I said to him, we need to get, do some marketing to get this system out there. It's really cool, but no one knows about it. And he said, well, I've put us in the yellow pages. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember the yellow pages, but it was ridiculous, right? Um, and I said, well, everyone's looking on Google. You need to be on Google if anyone's going to look for this stuff and use this stuff. And um, basically, he said, I don't know anything about it. So I taught myself how to make a website, and I got the website ranking number one on Google for the words personal training. How old course. were you at that point? 18. Okay, cool. 18. And uh, in two months, in the third month after I got the website ranking number one on Google, we went from $2,000 a month in sales to $240,000 a month in sales. And I learned an important lesson. Ask for equity in someone's business before you make it successful, not after. Um, but it was really fascinating because at every point up until that point in my life, I washed cars, I worked in a sports shop, I waited tables at a, a company called Hogs Breath in Australia. I was shit at every job I ever did. I sucked at it, I was bad at it, I didn't enjoy it. I was always looking at the clock for five o'clock so I could leave. When I found marketing, when I found digital marketing, it was the first time in my life I didn't look at the clock to see when it was home time. I was good at what I was doing. I was enjoying what I was doing. Um, and that's when I think you know you've found the right career. And I think a lot of young people, a lot of business people, they just do things because they're told it's the right thing to do. They do it because they think they make money doing that, but they don't actually enjoy it. And I don't believe you can be really successful until you find 
that thing that you're really passionate about and that you can be better than other people at. And I think failing to get to that was the best thing that I could have done. Um, but after that, so I knew I was going to be in digital marketing. I knew I was good at marketing, but then I decided to go backpacking, did two years backpacking around Europe. Um, and that got me here in the UK in, in 2012. But to answer your question, haven't been to university. My parents are very working class and we came from a very, very, very poor household. When I got here in 2012 to the UK, I had 173 pounds and I was living just down the road in a hostel called the White Ferry House. Um, so if you fast forward to today um, and where I am today, I got sent a photo from a festival called Creamfields in Manchester from 11 years ago. And the pictures of me, I, I fucking can't believe it's me in the photo. I, I, I'm looking at it and it, it is me, but I can't believe it is me. I look so different. The way I'm holding myself, that my haircut, the, the journey I've been on in the last 11 or 12 years is unbelievable. It is, you, you can't imagine how quickly your life can change if you get around the right people, you have the right opportunities and you're doing something that you're, you're good at. And the last 11 years sounds like a long time, but 11 years is going to pass anyway, right? So if you have the right people around you, you have the right infrastructure, you can be living a completely different life in 10 years' time and looking back and not even recognize yourself. And, and when you first came here, was that just part of your traveling in, in your mind or yeah. did you intend to try and get a career or a business here? I uh, said to my mum I was going to live in, in London for three months. It's been 12 years this year. Um, and... Long story short, what happened was I, I, I was living in this hostel. I door knocked businesses old fashioned until I got a job cold calling, selling Google ads over the phone. Um, and I was working for a massive organization and I was one of 500 employees there. And um, it was a shit business. Like it was cold calling, $300 a day, people telling me to fuck off, kill myself all day, every day. It was good for communication skills yeah. and resilience. Terrible job. Um, and the company was shit. The way they were treating their staff was awful. The way they were treating their customers was awful. And it was, I knew I could do it better. And I think that's that spark of a business owner, entrepreneur. It was the first time in my life I really knew I could do it better than my boss. And I think that's how it starts. And so I put together a business plan. I took it to four banks for 25 grand business loan to start a company. But because I wasn't from here, they, they wouldn't give me the loan. So the guy that sat next to me at work said, why don't you try out for The Apprentice? And I said, what's The Apprentice? He said, it's a TV show where an old man yells at you. <laughs> um, so I went with that on that Saturday to The Apprentice tryouts with my friend Blake. 75,000 people came to that um, tryouts for The Apprentice. And people give The Apprentice uh, people, candidates, winners, a really difficult time and say that they're, they're idiots and there's some tosses on there. There is, there's no doubt about it. But to get onto that program is very difficult. It was still one of the hardest things I've ever done in business. To win it is nearly impossible. Um, so to, to be a winner of that program, you are a very particular type of person that can handle a lot of stress and a lot of pressure. And, and you were the first non-Brit. First non-Brit winner, uh, first Aussie winner, obviously. Um, 
and in my year series 10, um, they normally have 12 or 14 candidates on The Apprentice. In my year, they had 20 because it was the 10th series, which statistically I say makes me the greatest of all time. Um, I, I like to let Joe know um, who's the best is and uh, how many people I had to beat to be here. Brilliant. Well, I want to go through your, your whole journey through to today and, and, and the future, but I also want to try and capture and pick up some of the incredible nuggets you've already talked about there. Because, so one of the first things that made, that caught my mind was you said you wanted to be successful for your parents. Yes. And a lot of people sometimes when, when I mentor them and work with them as a, as a behavioral profiler and a mentor will say, well, I'm just not motivated. I just like, I just kind of, I, I don't need anything. I, I don't want these nice things. And, and one of the things that I'd often say is if you can't be motivated by your own needs find someone else in your family your community that you can and that and if you haven't got people immediately close to you find a charity that, that you think can change uh, people's lives because you will always build more for others than you will yourself often and part of that is because if we do fail psychologically we nearly always forgive ourselves we have some trauma that follows that but we'll forgive ourselves uh, and so we can easily give up on a goal if it's just for us. When it's for other people, and it was the same for me buying a home for my mum because you know she had a hundred grand in her house, a council house that she'd bought, but she was going to die in poverty because she had to die to release that hundred grand. Yeah. So being able to say, "Mum, I'll buy you a house," and you can enjoy that money then and do something made a massive difference. But also, when we talk about motivation, so many people think motivation should be positive. I want some mo positive motivation. You know, give me some motivation. Actually, I believe 70% of all motivation is negative. Yeah. We are more driven by what we don't want. I'm starving. I don't want to stay there. I hate this job. I don't want to do that uh, than what we do want. So don't, don't discount negative in your life as a good driver for the future. Uh, and you then talked about um, passion. Uh, as a behavioral profile, I profiled loads of secret millionaires after I did that program with me. And I was trying to think, what is it that makes them? Is it great education? Is it a bad education? Is it young? Is it old? Is it well-educated, badly educated? Is it working class or is it upper class? You know, what are the things that are common across all these people? And you know, over several um, dinners across many, many months, the only common factor I could find is they were passionate about what they did. Yeah. And again, people sometimes say, I'm just not passionate you haven't found your thing yet then. Yeah. And you talked about that journey to yeah. doing some things and then suddenly you, you got excited, passionate, wanted to get up every morning, wanted to work as opposed to clock watching. So, you know, that's really, really important. Uh, and then you talked a, a lot about the stress. Um, one of the oil companies I worked with used to deliberately after people had been on a, they were fast trackers or, or targeted as such, but after they'd been about six months, they would drop them into a job or a challenge that was far beyond them. Yeah. And what they were really trying to assess is, will they sink or swim? Yeah. And literally, almost, they'd be going under, and then they'd snatch them out, and they'd still they'd carry on with their career, but they would be labeled as ordinary, yeah. if you like, one of the workers. But the people who, despite all the reasons for not succeeding, the ones who succeeded suddenly ran a country and that. And that's why if you look at oil companies, often you'll find that some of the people who are leading oil companies, even though they're multi-billion pound businesses, are often in their 30s or 40s because they're tested. That, 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 that stress, um, uh, ability to manage stress, work within stress, and channel that stress becomes really powerful. So, can I pick up on yeah, two yeah, points do, there? Do, please, yeah. um, 
I work now with a lot of um, young business people, entrepreneurs that are looking to be successful. And we talk often about motivation and it is staggering to me how many entrepreneurs and business owners don't have any goals. They don't have written goals for themselves. Only 15% of human adults have <laughs> goals and they're responsible for 85% of the wealth. When I go into a business and I say to them, what are you trying to achieve here? And they say, well, you know, to make a profit. They don't know what, people don't know why they're going to work. They don't know what they're getting out of bed for. And can you think about if you're one of your employees and you don't know what you're trying to achieve and you don't know what your business is trying to achieve, how in the world can you get there? Imagine you get on a cruise ship this afternoon and you say to the captain, where are we going? And he says, well, I'm just going to go out of the harbour and I'm going to put the throttle down and I'll just see where we, fuck, I'm getting off, right? And the same with the plane. If they say, well, we're just going to get up there and we'll see where we, where we end up. I'm not getting on that plane. So why would I go into your business if you don't know where it's going? And it's the same as when I say, oh, what's your goal? I'm going to sell my business for 50 million. Who on your board has sold the business for 50 million? No one. My dad's on my board. What in the world is going on? If you, you must have goals for yourself and you must write those goals down because when motivation, you'll go through motivation ups and downs like we all do. I'm not motivated all the time. Some days I'm really motivated, some days I'm not motivated at all. But I know what I'm trying to achieve all of the time. And that gives my family confidence in me, my employees confidence in me, and it gives us a direction that we know that we're heading in. And, and, and that's, if you held a gun to my head and said you had to go back in time and you can't take anything with you but you can take two things you've learned, it would be to have big audacious goals and write them down and to have a coach mentor. And if I just knew those two things in 10 years, I would be back here straight away. And the other thing I understood really, really early and really well is I wasn't a smart guy in the conventional educational sense, but I understood that most things that have been done or that I wanted have been done before. So just find someone who's done it, understand that recipe and do it. So I'll give you an example. When I started working at that call center with the 500 employees, they sat us in what was called the newbie rows with all the new starters. And I said to my manager, Who's the bigger, who gets the biggest commission check here? Who is the big hitter? He said, oh, that geezer over there with the beard. I said, I want my desk next to that guy. So I got my desk next to him. Every call he made, just wrote down what he said. Who was he calling? What was he saying? How did he get meetings? And I just copied the most successful guy. And I broke every, over eight weeks, I broke every record that that company had. And they were like, oh, maybe we should hire more Australian people. And they were making case studies on me. All I did was copy the guy who was getting the best results. And when I got onto The Apprentice, the producer said to me, have you ever seen the show before? And I had it, okay? And she said, well, you better watch some. I went on Wikipedia, I used my same model that I use for everything, and I looked at all of the winners of the show before the seasons before me. I went back and I watched every season through and I tracked what the winner of each series did. And I found there was a pattern with every person who'd won the program. For example, don't be project manager in week one. You have a 75% chance of being fired. Success leaves clues. It is so easy. If you want to achieve anything in business, you find someone who's got it. You ask them, how did they do it? They'll tell you, you do the same thing. And guess what happens? You get the results and people think you're a genius, but if you have the right people around you, if you have the right knowledge around you, success is imminent, it's easy. Yeah. 
No, I mean, and Joe, you'd have all heard Joe say before that success leaves clues. I mean, the beauty of success is we're not breaking through to something that's never been done before. You know, there are people from all walks of life that have achieved incredible success. And, and following that is, is, is not easy, but it is simple. And even in the group today, we've got people at different levels of businesses. The networking you can do within Mastermind is great. Every time we do a, a millionaire mastermind, Joe gets people in uh, who can inspire, can teach. We can ask the questions. So do write down any questions you want um, for, for when we do the Q&A uh, with Mark. But the, the other things I talked about is written goals. Yes. Um, now, you don't need to say, but if you haven't got written goals, I guarantee you're going to be in the bottom quartile of success from the group. I mean, that sounds really harsh, but it's it's one of my key mantras as well. If it's not written down, you might as well uh, give up on it as a goal. And to me, that's like a sat-nav. You put a postcode in, ba 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 bump, we've worked the route, but not only do we know the roads to go on, we know what roads not to go on, so we'll be less easily distracted. Uh, distracted. Have you always had written goals or is that something that came later? Uh, I, unfortunately, I learned it quite late in life. So I keep goals um, all around me. So if I open my wallet now, I've got a check that I've written myself for £100 million um, pounds that I can cash on a certain date in my phone, on my background, in my notes. Everywhere I look, I have little reminders because what I found is you don't need to know how to achieve the goal. You just need to have it and your brain will start automatically finding the answers and the people and it, it's fascinating. If I look back at my goals from 2012, 13, 14 and I am shocked at how small they are. They're, they're, they're laughable but at the time, I, I think I wrote something like own two houses which at the time is like fucking crazy from living in a hostel yeah I'm living in a I was living in I was like Harry Potter I was living in a house with a, a 11 Australians and I had a room where you'd open the door and it hit the foot of the bed so you <laughs> had to go through the door like that so owning two houses was audacious for me at the time last friday we bought our 17th property Brilliant. and um it seems like annoying that it's not more or it's not faster or, or, or whatever. But I look back at two and I'm like, oh my God, imagine if I'd said 50, where would mm. I be now? And I realized that I just needed to write that down. And then I started going to the right events. I started getting around the right people and the results just came to me. But um, if you don't write your goals down, I don't think you should even come to the next event because you're just sort of wasting your own time. You can come here and bullshit to people and have cups of tea and say you want to be a good business person. But if you leave here and don't take any action, you know, it, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. I can sit here and tell you what to do. And, and what, what I love is, is that it's very specific. It's not uh, a check for a big amount of money. Or Often people say, I want to be more successful. I want to grow my business. It's uh, 100 million pounds. Yeah. You know, I mean, have you got a date on it? Yeah, I've got a date. Okay, because yeah. the next thing in, in goal setting is we talk about smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timed. And, and that, to me, you talked about your brain's amazing. I talk a little bit about in my book about the creative subconscious. That's the particular part of the brain that drives this. Because And the uh, psychologists refer to the creative subconscious as the taxi driver. Because when you get in a taxi, where do you want to go, mate? So that's part of the goals. Where do you want to go? And if, you, if I said King's Cross... They'd probably say, have you got a particular train? What time do you need to be there? Uh, I need to be there at 11 o'clock. You've got no chance, mate. Or is there another train? Or, yeah, I'll do my best. But the minute we put a date or a time on it, suddenly we've got to kind of 
increase the urgency or we can slow it down a little bit. And if there's not urgency, that can affect ability to achieve goals as well. Because if we don't have to take massive immediate action, or at least immediate action, we tend to put it off. So, you know, I could do with losing several pounds. If I said I want to lose a stone by next year, I can, I can wait 11 months and then starve myself. If I said I want to lose a stone in the next month, I've got to think about what I eat at lunch. Uh, so it's, it's what's going to be a goal that makes you act on it today and that you can give this taxi driver that will get you there. Yeah. I mean, it is incredible. Once you program that taxi driver or give a taxi driver destination, their brain's going to- I hope you're enjoying Success as a System. Every Tuesday, we launch it on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. Drop us a note and tell us who you would like to see or hear on Success as a System or what subjects you'd like us to cover to help you and your business. Success as a System, like, subscribe, and make sure you get it every Tuesday for great lessons and systems that have made people wealthy, healthy, and successful. To hyperdrive, your creative subconscious goes into hyperdrive. It will find every opportunity that helps you towards that goal. It will, when you start to do something that's going off plan towards that goal, it will say, you ain't bloody losing that weight if you eat that kebab. Mm. Or, or whatever it is, <laughs> personal favorite, but or whatever it is you're, you're going for. But, you know, th those are so, so important. So what, when did you start setting goals that were written on dated? Well, um, and first of all, congratulations for being here and having the courage to spend your money to come to something like this. Because I remember the first event I came to, I was sitting in the back of the room and my friends used to tease me for coming to events like this. They'd say, oh, look at this guy, he wants to be rich, he wants to be successful, he spends, he goes to seminars at hotels on the weekend. Now I sometimes look at their social media and... Um, they're still drinking in the same pubs, hanging out with the same people, yeah. and my life is completely different. It takes that courage to come here and be open to changing and open to learning. And it was at my first event where they talked about goal setting, and I wrote goals down, and they felt big to me. But my only regret is if I could go back, I would set much bigger goals because I'm a very successful businessman. I'm a very wealthy man um, from the businesses that I've owned, but I would be a billionaire, I think, now mm -hmm. if I had set bigger goals. Um, because, again, like you said, your mind just starts finding answers to all of that stuff. And people often ask me what I learned from working with Alan Sugar. I was with him for eight and a half years in business. I've worked with Grant Cardone for two years. I've been around multiple billionaires and I've been in boardrooms and business meetings where there's 100 million pounds deals and billionaires speaking. And what is the most shocking thing? Everyone thinks you walk into the room and they sprinkle billionaire dust on you and you now understand how to do business. What is unbelievable is after working with a lot of these people, and I won't name names, you realize they're fucking not that sharp. Yeah. They're, they're no different to you, to me, to the man on the street. But the common pattern is they all have goals. They all have a mentor coach. And they all have unbelievable self-esteem. They are Some of them are as thick as two fucking planks. And it breaks my heart when I see them online, some of these um, folks, because they're not sharp, but they believe unequivocally in themselves and in their business and their yeah. plan. And they know what they're trying to achieve. And by hell or high water, they actually achieve it. And most people are almost too smart for their own good. And I'll give you an example of that, right? I, I, I'm, I'm not a property entrepreneur at all. I own a few properties. Um, and I've never seen one of my properties before I bought it. 
I have a team who go and look at the properties and they'll buy the property and rent. we bought another property today. Now think mm. about that in the scheme of how you or someone you might know would go and buy a property. Well, I saw under the fourth wall a bit of mold and that's why we shouldn't do the deal. But what if in August in 2025 we don't have a tenant? What if I'm the first person that doesn't have a tenant? Mm. Most people talk themselves out of success. They talk themselves out of a deal. You'll always find a reason not to do a deal, not to buy a business, not to buy a property. And that is the biggest thing. People who believe in themselves, believe they deserve success. Success is due to them, owed to them. They know what they're trying to achieve and they just take risks. It is much easier to get out of a deal than to get into it. Get into it, make the decision because by the time you've gone to the same property that I'm going to interested in, you ain't getting it. I've already bought it before you've done the tour to find the piece of mould that you're going to go home and ask your husband or your wife who's not interested so they're going to tell you it's a huge risk. Have people who are like-minded around you. Don't ask your wife or husband for advice or your mum or dad because they're going to tell you not to do it. They're going to tell you, oh, what about interest rate? What is happening with the economy? I saw on BBC something's happening with the economy. Successful people don't speak like this. Yeah, yeah. They speak no, a so different true. language. It's so, so true. And uh, I think it's really important to get across that people who have really succeeded have got the same demons, have got the same ghosts. Uh, one of the key things I, I took from, from that myself is, you know, I went to a school um, uh, and I... Uh, I did some GCSE, some O-levels, never got a single A, I got some Bs and some Cs. Uh, but because of that, I had to work harder. You've heard Neville Wright, uh, Neville Wright, who, you know, was dyslexic, ADHD, got kicked out of school at 14, uh, now worth 200 million pounds. Last week, I interviewed the CEO of, of Morrison's, got 105,000 employees. Uh, and last year was paid 4.5 million pounds. And that's on the back of decades of earning huge salary. But you know, when he left school, he, got, he only ever did five O-levels. He got F in all of them. You imagine what your uh, self-belief might be like if you got F in every single exam you did. But you know what? He then uh, did what Mark talked about. He went, he'd, he'd done a bit of work in a fruit and veg shop. He finished school on the Friday, started with Tesco's on the Monday, filling shelves, and he realized he quite liked retail. He was working with other people. He, they were teaching him stuff. Uh, and as he started doing well, they said he could go back and do a day release to college. Where you start is irrelevant. It's the journey and where you end up that is really, really important. Setting those big goals, uh, that makes a massive, massive difference. You can learn everything by experience if you want. That's tough. The best way to learn is through wisdom, and wisdom is learning from others' experience. Mm. And so, again, you know, listen, 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 listen when, when we're hearing some of these things, because it's really good, I think, when people say, well, you know, I have these concerns, I have these anxieties, I, I'm not very clever at that. You can always employ someone more clever than you. 100%. One, I've spoken, I'm a doctor of education, spoken at universities, colleges, every school. I got awarded that because of the work I did with schools and that. But if I went to a really tough school, I went to a school that was once called a demonized depository for social waste. And, you know, we all got that label and we sort of wore that label and thought that's where we must end up. But now when I go back to schools like that, I will say something like, if you only knew the foundation that you've got from the challenges you've faced and are facing, the foundation that will build, you can build anything upon. If I go to a, a good fee-paying school, my daughters went to an incredible school, uh, you know, best part of half a million quid by the time they finish their education. Uh, 
And I'll go to that school and I'll say, I wish you all enough failure to be truly successful. Mm. Because they've lived in this site, not my girls, because I, I beasted them a little bit as they grew up on, on real life. But, but so many people in there are living in this bubble. They've got snowplow parents who clear the way for them. Uh, they've never really failed. They're in an environment where they're surrounded by so many other ambitious people, Power of Association, which you sort of covered in, in a roundabout way, who you spend time with, um, will make a massive difference, but they've never experienced failure. And when they first do, it knocks them. So if you've experienced failure, well done, because you know what, each time you experience that. In fact, if you go to the SAS or somewhere like that, any specialist military fighting force, they love people who have been through trauma. Because if ever you are in a traumatic experience, a fire, an explosion, uh, whatever challenges, the people who have lived through trauma, and that could have just been the way they were brought up, they don't get faced by it. They're uncannily calm in those traumatic situations. Uh, it's a bit worrying that they're that calm often, but it's because of the trauma they've been through. So all of that is important. Now, you talked in passing, you, you, you said about spending time with Grant Cardone yes. and the mentors and, yes. and spending the money. It, similarly, I went on Tony Robbins 20 years ago, and I borrowed 15 grand at the time, I'd just two years after being bankrupt. Uh, and so it was hard to borrow it even, but I borrowed it to go on, on that course for four years, his Mastery University. Uh, and people saying, you're stupid, you're stupid. Yeah, why don't you do it? I say, well, I ain't got nothing to lose. I'm kind of down here. But one of the things that he taught me, and I'd be interested to ask you a question that's connected to this in a second, is the five people you spend time with, which is Jim Ronquote, you will be the average of them. The average income, happiness, uh, health, um, relationship abilities, and so on. So really be careful who you choose from. Now, does that mean you leave your family? Uh, I have a brother that was a street fighter, used to tour with a prodigy, a sister who, who stabbed a guy, got nine years. Uh, it was a tough family. Violence was a go-to place. So I had to limit the, the, my exposure to that. Doesn't mean I don't love them, but actually when my sister came out of prison, who could help her get a house? Who could still look after her today when everyone else wanted to go against her? So one of the questions I wanted to ask him that, obviously you're getting great uh, exposure and buying that exposure is yes. an important point. Yes. Uh, with those people, do you spend a lot of time with the people that you used to live with in the uh, <laughs> it, it, when you first came over here? And not at all. I mean, you, you've covered it well. I mean, if you hang out with losers, you become a loser. If you hang out with people that are covered in tattoos, it's a matter of time before you get your first sleeve. If you hang out with billionaires, guess what happens to you? It's only a matter of time before you're invited in on a deal or an opportunity to make serious money. They say if you hang out with a billionaire, millions fall off them, and that is really true uh, because you pick up on habits of success and I'll give you an example I work with a lot of businesses that um, they're struggling they're small businesses that have stayed small for a very long time and they want to scale they want to achieve some sort of scale and I've learned from watching successful people over time their habits their teams who they have around them processes right I go and work with a small business the first mistake is they do too much Every, they're like self-entrepreneurs or business owners, whatever they might be. Oh, I'm just, sorry, Mark, I'm just going to send an invoice out of zero. What? Why is your bookkeeper not doing that? Why are you, I'm just going to take a call for a lead that's coming. Well, where's your sales team? And that, people say to me, I haven't got enough sales. And I say, okay, how much did you spend on marketing last month? Oh, I tried that once. It didn't work. Uh, where's your sales team? Oh, I don't have that. I just handle the, the leads myself. How on earth? Are you ever going to scale and be a proper organization if you don't spend money on marketing or have a sales team? You should 
your job as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, is to make yourself redundant. Every single day in your business, your job is to find someone else to do it. Why? Because when someone like me comes along to buy your business, the first question is, what do you do here? If you're the guy doing the invoicing, the sales, the phone answering, doing the job yourself, I don't want your business. Your business is actually worth nothing. You've just created yourself the worst job ever. Your job is to create processes, prices, systems, and people that make your role redundant. And your job as the business owner is the chief checker. Your job every day is to check is the brand a reflection of what I want? Are the price a reflection of where we want to go and our plan and our goals that we've set? Are we marketing enough? Are we selling enough? Is the job the right quality for my brand and my reputation? Your job every day is to make yourself redundant. And the less you do, you'll feel a bit weird because you'll feel lazy. We all start businesses because we're hard workers. But if you start yourself a business and do all of the jobs yourself, you're just creating yourself a headache. And every entrepreneur's role is to sell their business. And this, if this sounds foreign to you, that's worrying. Because one of three things will happen in your life and in your business. You will die, your business will go broke, or you'll sell it. That is the only three ways to exit a business. Death, bankruptcy, or sale. You better make sure it's the third and you sell it. And you need to be planning every single day to sell your business and thinking with the end in sight because you don't want to die in your inbox and leave your kids a problem um, to, to sort out. Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's a, it's a great point because I'm getting to the age where I've known people who have died in a business. Not only do their families have to deal with the grief of them dying, they're often trying to pull together the bits of a business which, are the, which is then falling apart because the person at the helm of it has spent so much time making the business dependent on them. Yeah. So, you know, it takes months for a business that's really successful to fall apart when someone dies. And yet your loved ones are going to have to try and pull that together whilst dealing with the grief of losing you if you don't build a plan to exit it. Uh, and, and put things in place to protect those ones. And I want to come to business exit uh, if we can in a minute. But let's go back first to the um, apprentice. So yes. my understanding, you were the first five teams you were in were the losing team? Yeah, I, I lost. I, I, up until recently, I, I, I lost more than any other contestant on the program. I think out of the, all of the tasks, I only won two. And I was in the boardroom four times uh, in the final um, three boardroom. And it was a tough process. And um, how did I win that show? I told you about the planning of the, what, what I did before I went in. But I believe in life and in business, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I understood what I thought Alan Sugar was after. I went into the house and they would give wine out at night. Didn't drink, didn't touch one piece of wine. I was the first in bed. 10 o'clock, I was the first up in the morning because I understood I was in a game. I was in a game show and I was there to win a game show. People are hooking up in the house, drinking, mm -hmm. taking the piss. I understood it wasn't just on the task that you won on the TV, that he was picking up on getting fed back information constantly. So I was playing the game 24-7. First in bed, first up, no booze, no girls. All of, I can do it for nine weeks. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I can go to the pub and do all that stuff as much as I want after that. And I won the show, in my opinion, easily. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, when the show came out and Lord Sugar said, you're going to be my business partner, I had no idea what that, what that meant. Um, left the, left the, um, the, the boardroom after uh, nine weeks in the house, no phone, no internet. Um, I'm sure Joe's told you guys some stories about it all. Pretty intense process. And then Lord Sugar messaged me the next day. He said, I want you to come around to my flat and talk about how we get this business going. Went round to his flat in central London. So no downtime. No downtime. Literally the next day. I think I left the boardroom on a Saturday morning and I met with him Sunday afternoon the next day to talk about setting the business up. I went round to his flat, which is not a flat. It's a luxury penthouse in, in central London here. Um, Sunday afternoon, I had a three-piece suit on, tie, waistcoat, the whole thing. Had my business plan and my CV. And it was the first time I'd met Alan Sugar just one-on-one. -on -one. I'd always seen him in the boardroom with the cameras and all of the sound equipment and all of this stuff. And I went into his flat and it was just him and I. And uh, he just had like a tracksuit on and I'm in my three-piece suit. And I said, Lord Sugar, thank you so much for the opportunity. Here's my CV. <laughs> and he took my CV and he just leafed through it really slowly in front of my eyes. And then he yeah, ripped yeah. it up, Fantastic. threw it on the floor and he said, I don't care how far you can throw a fucking boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is going to be pretty serious. So we sat down like this and we talked for nearly three hours about staff, wages, the industry. And then I left and he messaged me, said, what's your bank details? And the next morning I got up, I had £250,000 in my bank account. And I always wonder what happens to these TV show winners after the TV show because you, you don't know if they become successful or they drug fucked. Where, you know, where are these, these people? That first few weeks, he was on me like a rash. He transferred me the money. And then I had that realisation, like all of that shit I said on the show, I need to actually do it now. And when you get investor mm -hmm. financing, there's this moment where you're like, because a business plan's a load of garbage, right? I've never seen a financial projection that's accurate in 11 years of owning yeah. businesses. Mm -hmm. So a business plan is made up. I was saying all this stuff on The Apprentice, I'm the best thing since sliced bread and all of this stuff. Now I've got to do it. I've got a quarter of a million and I need to do it. And um, first month made a loss, three grand. Second month, 12,000 in turnover. And then we got sued from the biggest company in our sector. They had turnover 860 million, our turnover 12,000. <laughs> and I use Lord Sugar like my granddad, like my dad. I only go to him when I want a pat on the head, you know, good job, well done. <laughs> and I rang him and I said, Lord Sugar, we're getting sued from the biggest company in our sector. And he said, it's good, good news. I said, no, we're getting sued. That'll get news. And he said, why do you think there's no drinks in the fridge with Coca-Cola? And I said, I've never thought about that before. He said, when you're a great business and you start creating a brand, the big boys in your industry aren't waiting for you to come and steal their customers. Big companies buy up new companies to take them out of the market, to, to take back the market share. So we're making enough noise in the industry to piss off the big guy. So here's what you do. So I got my note, pen and pad, and he said, ring up the switchboard of the company that's suing us. I said, ring up the switchboard of the company that's suing us. Tell them it's Mark Wright from Climb Online and you're suing us. Yeah. Now tell them, fuck off. <laughs> I stopped taking notes at that point. Um, and I, he said, because in business, you get one chance to make a reputation. You get one chance at it. And if you get the reputation that they can come and mess with our brand, mess with our business in our second month, how long do you think we're going to exist in this industry for? Your job is to be robust, 
be strong, that the more resilient and strong you can get and the more you can handle pressure, the more successful you'll be. The more you can handle pressure and the more resilient you'll be, the further you will go. And it was a great lesson. So I'd love to come in on that because one of the principles that I know a lot of people are dealing with is conflict. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the, the upside of the anti-bullying that's been going for a generation through our schools now is there's less bullying. That's a good thing. The downside is the grey area around bullying has made people avoid all conflict. Oh, I can't have an argument. I can't, I can't like, tell them I think they're full of shit. I can't do these kind of this conflict. Now, one of the things I know is you obviously had con conflict in, um, in the programme with, yes. with the other contestants. I've read that you had quite a lot of conflict with Lord Sugar at the beginning. Yes. And then just straight after starting the business, there's a conflict with one of the biggest players. Yeah. You are, if you're growing, it's like putting your head above the parapet. It may get shot off. You're, if, if you don't want to be shot down or attacked or have any awkward moments, you're always going to keep your head below the parapet. Don't get into But you'll business. never see it. Don't, do not get, if you do not like conflict, uh, don't start a business. You can be a really nice gal or a nice guy when you finish off at 6 o'clock at night and you're down the pub with your mates. But when you put your suit on and you're in the office or you're on site, you need to be a tough motherfucker, nine to five, because people are coming after your customers, they're coming after your employees. No one is waiting for you to be a millionaire, okay? You need to want it for yourself, demand it for yourself. And if you see how you do anything is how you do everything. If you see one of your people and they do a sub-quality piece of work, but you think the customer might not notice, what do you do? You've noticed. So do you make sure, hey, I know you can do that better than you've done that. Let's, let's get it right this time. You have to be comfortable having tough conversations and not giving tacit approval. You know when you're in a conversation and someone says something you disagree with, what do you do? Do you just nod because you don't want to offend them? Or do you say, I don't agree with what you've just said and put your point across? Great business people are honest, they welcome conflict, and they're able to communicate effectively. If you avoid conflict, you're gonna have a terrible business. You're gonna overpay your employees, you're gonna underquote your jobs, and you're not gonna last very long because you're scared of upsetting people. You have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And the, and the better you can do that, the more money you'll make, and the more respect you'll get from your suppliers and your employees. Brilliant, brilliant. So. Before The Apprentice, yes. 173 quid in the bank. Yes. Three months later, 250,000 in the bank. Yes. Um, but then you're, you're, you've got Lord Sugar, but you've then got this money. You've got to turn it into a business. Yeah. No, no employees. Yes. Uh, but a few years later, when you sold it, you had 130 employees. That's right. Managing people, recruiting people, finding the right people can be a nightmare. Tell us your, um, how you overcome the challenges with... Because at that point, I'm assuming you've never managed anyone. Never. People, recruited people. Never. No, so tell us some of the challenges, upsides, downsides, and how you now look at finding the right people. Uh, people are essential in your business, and particularly the ones around you in your close, close circle. They're the most essential people, the ones you look to for advice and give you advice. Very important. But I was cheap when I started. I didn't want to spend too much of the 250,000. So I hired cheap employees, 16, 17, 18,000 pound employees, and they fucked it up. 
They messed up my reputation, got bad reviews, upset customers, and you get what you pay for in every aspect of life. I hired cheap employees and it cost me probably a year of growth in my business. A great lesson I've now learned, which if I could go back in time again, I would be so much further than I am now. Those people that you bring into your business, if you find someone in the top layer of another organization that's super successful, bring them across to your organization, they'll implement the strategies and the systems at the more successful company into yours, and they generally bring good people with them as well. Um, and I didn't know that, and I spent a lot of time recruiting old school, bringing one person in, training them up, they wouldn't work, overpaying for them, all of that stuff. I mean, recruiters are the biggest bane of my life, estate agents and recruiters, uh, uh, you know, in hell. Um, so, it was just about finding good people in my inner circle, making mistakes, of course, I made all the mistakes that everyone did, but I understood later in my career, bringing great people. Yeah. And I've never met a successful businessman that owns 100% of his company. I'm talking serious success. Jeff Bezos, I think it's 17% he owes of Amazon. People are proud to tell me they own 100% of their business. Well, I own 100% of my business. Who gives a shit? Would you much rather own 17 or 20% of a billion than 100% of your pissy 100 grand firm? I'm not interested in 100 grand. I'm interested in 17 million of the, of, the, of the bigger action. You need to attract good people in and put them either on what we call funny money, an equity slice or a bonus scheme, commission or bonus. Because the more people in your top team that are incentivized by the performance of the company, the better that company does. You can only, when you're here with me right now, listening to me, who's running your company? How well are you doing today? And if you have great people that are incentivized, your company is running just as well today when you're with he, me here learning and we're, we're networking with each other. And that is real business success. And you get that from attracting in good people, giving them a slice of the action and letting them be great, not over-managing them. Let them do what you brought them in to do. Brilliant, brilliant. I mean, it, it, I can see exactly why you would look back to that old festival and see a different person because clearly you've grown massively in that time. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. You know, the wisdom uh, at me at 58, that you've obviously absorbed loads of books and loads of uh, content from different mentors yeah. and, uh, and different things, and, but not just absorbed them, acted upon them, failed a bit at some, trying some of that uh, and, and gained success. And the people are the most important thing in any business. Yeah. You know, if I, I, I agree with you completely, but one of the things that anyone in the group that I mentor on, there's several, uh, you'll hear me say a lot is winning teams only have the best players. Mm -hmm. And the most important word in there is only. You know, it's like, if you've got 10,000 people working for you, you can have a few people that are, you, you're keeping prisoners, if you like, or a charity case or whatever. But if you've got 10, that's like having 10 stables of thoroughbreds and you suddenly realise that three of them are nags. Yeah, then 30% of your business is shit. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, they're landlocking or stable blocking uh, other thoroughbreds because you, until that vacuum appears or that money is saved, you can't respend it. And sometimes you get someone who is amazing and is a, is a best player, but if they don't work for the team, you know, Ronaldo might have been on whatever it is, 20, 30, 40 million, I'm not a particular footballer, one of the best footballers in the world. But when he stops playing for the team, the team cut him loose. 
because not only do they need to be great, they need to understand their impact on the whole business or themselves. And if you've got someone who can work in a, uh, in a silo, you need to protect other people from them because sometimes you get that in sales. People are amazing, but you need to protect them or stop them hurting other people. Thank you for listening or watching Success as a System. If you've enjoyed that, do like, subscribe and share. Uh, and we look forward to coming back and uh, sharing some more great systems from great leaders with you again in the future. Thank you.